passage I've chosen for this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And this is what the Word of God says. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the lad full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed abroad and dragged the lad ashore. It was full of large fish. 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples there asked him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, as uh, for the past 20 years or so, as missionaries supported by churches, I have the opportunity to go to different churches, like this morning, to preach on Mission Sunday, or just like what you have on, Wednesday, on Thursday night, Mission Emphasis Dinner. I remember on one particular occasion in a church in Michigan, I was invited to share on a Wednesday evening, uh, Mission Emphasis Dinner. And the, the mission committee chairman, uh, he tried to introduce me uh, in a more casual way. So he said, I'll ask you some questions like an interview like you did on, uh, on our, our programs. And he started with a question. Uh, President, what's your favorite food? And I said, fish. Well, probably that wasn't the answer he was looking for, so he said, President, what is your second most favorite food? I think about it and said, fish. <laughs> now, he was really uh, disappointed, but he tried one more time. He said, he said very seriously, look at me, Jimmy, what's your third most favorite food? Well, I stopped and think a little while, and I said, very softly, fish. 
So he, 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 he gave up and went to other questions. Anyway, the reason why, why I would give that answer three times is because I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Some of you knew about Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a very small island on the southeastern coast of China. It's an island, so it's all surrounded by water. And when I was growing up, we used to go to the market and get fresh fish every day. Fish that's jumping in and out of the fish tank. Now, when I first came to Chicago about 20 years ago, uh, one of my good friends, I beg to God, he left already, but he was there, and I think a few days after we landed, he took me and my wife uh, and my little boy at that time. Uh, I think it was a jewel store. I think you have jewel around here, too. Uh, to, to grocery shopping, just to introduce me to life in America, although I, I stayed in the East Coast for a few years already, but Chicago is different, right? So we went there, and we walked around, and then I saw that beautiful sign, Fresh seafood. Ah, my wife and I said, this is it. But when we over there, we saw the fish, fresh fish, and I think they are not really that fresh. I don't think, <laughs> even if I have a little, if I poke into them, I don't think they would move. <laughs> and so I asked my friend, why would they say the fresh fish? And my good friend he was trying to, you know, make me feel comfortable. He said, oh. well, maybe they were fresh when they were frozen. <laughs> or what they mean is that they were freshly frozen not too long ago. But anyway, because of my love for fish, any passage in the Bible, now, that's not very spiritual. I don't think Pastor Michael, Pastor Greg would agree with me. I mean, any passage in the Bible that's deal with seafood are my favorites, you know. And this is one of them. But this passage is not just my favorite. This passage is very famous in the history of hermeneutics. I mean, those jargons. That means Bible interpretation. This passage is very important. There are books written about it. There are PhD dissertations about this particular passage. Why? There are so many passages about fish. Let me read to you again, verse 11. Simon Peter climbed abroad and dragged the net on shore. Ashore, sorry. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. 153. Why the Bible has to be so exact? There must be a reason. There must be some explanation about this number, 153. I'll give you a few examples. One of the church fathers, those people who were very famous, who are still very important to the history of the Christian church, Jerome. Jerome lived about two to three hundred years after Christ. Jerome said, according to his research, there were only 153 species of fish known to mankind in Jesus' time. So when Jesus did this miracle of casting the land, 
and letting them get 153 fish. Jesus was saying to them, you are getting all the fish in the world. And you remember also in another passage, Peter was asked to give up his profession as a fisherman, but to get catch men. So in a way, according to Jerome, what Jesus did in this miracle was telling his disciples, you are going to reach out to all nations, the Great Commission, just like you are going to catch all the fish in the world at that time. I think that's a pretty good explanation, but I'll give you a few wild ones. Um, there was a mathematician, a mathematician dealing with numbers, and he said, 153 is the sum of all the, in, all the numbers if you add from 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 up to 17. Now you can try that at home. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's correct. So you add 1 to 2 and um, 3 and up to 17, it will give you 153. So what's important? But he said 17 is 10 plus 7. Now that I know, right? I mean, we don't need a calculator for that. And he said, 10 is about the 10 commandments in the Old Testament. 7 is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12, about the sevenfold ministry of the church. So the Old Testament, the New Testament, the law, the gospel, everything is there. Now, that, I think, is a little bit far-fetched. I can give you an even wilder ones, but I probably should stop here or else you'll probably be calling the back to God tomorrow and ask them to check on my sermons in case you know there are heresies and everything over there. But let me suggest to you, let me propose to you another possibility. I think I won't know what 153 means. I guess we will know when we see Jesus one day, why, why is 153? Maybe it's just like Jerome said, I don't know. But maybe, just maybe, if we focus our attention not just on the numbers, because this is a whole passage, there are a lot of good things we can learn without just focusing all our attention on 153. For example, large fish. What is this fish? Now, that is not a controversy. Everybody, almost every Bible scholar agree that the fish that we are talking about is a species of the tilapia. That's very common. In those days in North Africa, and nowadays it's farmed in North America too. Right? I mean, I just checked. A few days ago, I was in the grocery store. I think it was selling, uh, I live in Tinley Park. I think the price probably is more or less the same, about $4 something, frozen, tilapia. Tilapia is a good fish to eat, if you haven't tried that. I mean, they have very little bones, they have a lot of meat, but the interesting thing is how the tilapia raise their children. According to marine biologists, the tilapia, after the eggs were laid, the father diablo will come along and he has a big mouth. He'll open his big mouth and suck all those eggs into his mouth. Now he's not going to swallow them, he just keeps them in his big mouth. Until those eggs hatch 
become little babies. And then he'll bring them along to the shore, open the mouth, squirt them out, so that those babies can feed on the fungi and those seaweeds and those things near the shore. And if it happens, a king crab come by or a giant lobster come by, he'll open his big mouth and suck those babies back to keep them safe. So it's just like our children, our grandchildren. They go to school every day, they come home, we keep them safe. They go out next day, they come home, and they grow. And so those baby fish grow. Until one day. And even now, the scientists do not know how the tilapia determined that day, what factors into that determination. But one day, when those baby fish, well, they're probably not very baby anymore, when they were coming home, they found that the father's mouth closed. He doesn't allow them to come back anymore. As if they tell them, you are not babies anymore. You are growing up. You are going to have your own children and you are going to protect them. You are going to feed them so that in turn they will have their children and they will grow, they will feed, and you will protect them. This is what we call natural reproduction, right? So maybe, just maybe, Jesus was saying something to them when he helped them to caught the tilapia. Maybe Jesus was saying something to them. I've been with you for three years now. I have taught you everything about the Father. I'm going back to the Father now. I'm going to leave you. But you are going to make your own conversion. You are going to reach out to people. You are going to tell them about our Father. You are going to reach out to them. You are going to convert them. And then you are going to protect them. You are going to teach them so that they, in turn, will make more disciples. Though they, in turn, will teach more. And that's how the kingdom grows. And that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teach Make disciples, conversion, teach. Conversion, teach. That's how the kingdom grows. That's what the mission of the church is about. And that's also the challenge to us, even today, as a church, as a Christian. But you may say, Pastor Dean, I mean, we travel to the whole world. I mean, we are just one church in Chicago land area. We are just one denomination, not a huge one, in North America. How are we going to reach out to the whole world? That's too much to ask of us. I will tell you a story of one of my listeners, and then you know what one person can do. This person, by the name of, his last name was Jane. That's a very common uh, Chinese last name, just like Heisinger, right, around here. <laughs> or Shringer, okay. <laughs> Virgin was a Communist Party member for almost 25 years. Before he became a Christian, through our broadcast, through your support, that was almost 15 years ago, actually. 
after he became a Christian, Virgin struggled in the beginning, but then he also thought about the problem. He was a Christian. He is a Christian. And a communist party member. That doesn't fit well. Communism is atheism. Does not believe in the existence of God. How can he be a Christian and a communist at the same time? So he prayed about it and made his decision. He said, okay. He went to his local communist party and he told them, I want to withdraw my party membership. Now that's about 20, 15, 16 years ago. In that time, China was still very restricted. Uh, a lot of problems in those days. Well, his party members, I mean his party, knew that he was a rector, right? I mean, he has been 20 something years, so they didn't want to disgrace him anyway. They said, okay, okay, if you want to give up your privilege, you have a lot of perks as a rector and communist party member. That's okay, you just, just resign and go away and don't tell anybody about it. But Brother Chen said, no, 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 I'm going to tell people about it because I find this Jesus so good. He loves me so much. I want to give up my party membership because of him. I want to tell people about him. Now, that's the problem, right? So they said, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You should keep your mouth shut. Or else we'll put you into prison or else whatever. But he did. He did tell people. And so they persecuted him. That was in those days when there were more religious persecution. They threatened him. They put him to prison, but they really can't, can't keep him there because he didn't do anything illegal, really. They have to let him go. Virgin tried to tell people around him, his neighbors, about Jesus, but they would not listen to him because they all knew that he was a party member for many years, and now suddenly he became a Christian? Mm, there must be a trick. He must be trying to trick us to say that we are Christians too, and then he'll give our name to the party. So they, they did not, did not listen to him in the beginning. But gradually, they began to see that he really changed. And he was being persecuted, threatened, suffered for this Jesus that we cannot see, for this Bible that was written in this book thousands of years ago. Now they began to become curious. They want to listen to him, what this Jesus is, what this Bible is. And you know what? Brother Jang, I said over 15 years, for the past 15 years, single-handedly by himself, led more than 1,000 people to Jesus. Now, I met him about five years ago. If you have a chance to meet him, just like me, you won't believe that. Because he was, this is a very ordinary-looking Christian, just like you and me. Oh, he looks more like me than you, of course. <laughs> He's Chinese, right? But, I mean, there's nothing special about him. And, I mean, he's, he doesn't have, I mean, he hasn't been to a seminary, although seminary is not, I mean, he's not a pastor. He's, he's not even eloquent. He even stutters at worst. But it's not what he spoke. It's not what he said. It's how he lived his life. People saw Jesus in him. And that's why they were attracted like iron findings to a magnet. To Jesus. Well, I can go on and tell you more stories like that in China, but I think it can happen right here too. I always want, when I go to mission emphasis, I started with China or Africa, whatever, 
I always want to come back to where we are. Because I believe that the work of missions and evangelism start right here in our own backyard. This morning we spent a lot of time in studying about this fisherman Peter. Of course, we know that he's more than a fisherman, right? I mean, Peter is one of the greatest preachers that we have in the history of the Christian church. He preached one sermon on Pentecost, and thousands of people came to Christ. He is one of the greatest missionaries that we have. He went into the house of the Roman centurion and opened the door for Gentiles like you and me, non-Jew, to become part of the family of God. But do you remember, do you recall how this great missionary, how this great preacher, Peter, come to know Jesus? If you turn back to your Bible to Gospel of John chapter 1, it talks about Peter as a brother by the name of Andrew. Now, let me clear first. I'm not trying to insult anyone, Andy, or by the name of Andrew here. But Andrew, I mean, who knows about Andrew? His name was only mentioned two times in the whole Bible. How can he be compared with Peter? John chapter 1 said, Andrew met Jesus and he went home and took his brother to meet Jesus. That's all he did. Andrew did not uh, prepare a series of 30 Bible studies with Peter. Andrew did not invite a, a great preacher of his time, a bibliogram of his time to speak with Peter. He just brought Peter to meet Jesus. That's all he did. But without this simple act, there won't be any great apostle, great missionary, or great preacher as Peter. But even if Peter would become an ordinary Christian like you and me, what Andrew did was very, very precious in the eyes of God because he brought one person to meet Jesus. Now, we all love Jesus. Or else we won't be worshipping him here today, right? I mean, the sunshine is so bright outside. We could sleep for a few more hours. Why we want to come here? Because we love Jesus. We all want to do something great for him. We all aspire. It would be so nice if we could be a Peter someday. But we all know deep down in our hearts, in the history of the Christian church, and even until Christ comes again, there won't be that many Peters. But each one of us, whether we are young or old, whether we are poor or rich, whether we are male or female, whether we are highly educated, or even if we could not read a word, we could all be an angel to somebody. And God has put each one of us in a particular situation. Maybe someone is just moving to your next door, and they're looking for a church. Maybe someone at work has some marriage problems and they were just looking for someone to talk to. Or maybe for girls and boys, someone at school, their parents may have some physical big problem and they are very worried. And God has put you there, put me there to reach out to them. And I think we should better Start being an angel right here, right now, and even today. 